Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association of North America's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association of North America or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Clay Nelly with TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Tonight, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Michael Feldman. Dr. Feldman was the author on an editorial commentary entitled, Anterior Cruciate Ligament Hamstring Autographs Should Be Avoided in Patients Younger Than 25 Years Old. Autograft-Allograft Hybrids Remain Controversial, which was a commentary in response to the paper entitled, Allograft Augmentation of Hamstring Autograft and Anterior Cruciate Ligament Reconstruction Results in Equivalent Outcomes to Autograft Alone. Dr. Feldman is a director of sports medicine at Banner University Medical Center and is associate professor at the University of Arizona School of Medicine. Dr. Feldman, thank you for joining me today. Clay, thanks for having me. Let's start for those that haven't maybe read the initial paper and then your editorial commentary possibly too. Just maybe give just a brief background of that paper and then kind of a brief summary of your commentary and thoughts on the paper itself. Sure. So Clay, this was a uh, retrospective uh, case study from uh, Ortho Carolina looking at their um, series of uh, hamstring autograft versus hybrid hamstring reconstructions um, for ACL. Uh, basically, they had an average of four-year follow-up, and the outcome, primary outcome was um, graft failure and revision surgery to include either secondary surgery or, more importantly, revision reconstruction. Uh, the purpose of their study started because the literature has been very uh, varied on whether hybrid autographs do worse or similar to um, hamstring grafts alone. Uh, the results of their study said that there was no significant difference between hamstring autograft and hybrid grafts in ACL reconstruction. Uh, I felt compelled to review this article uh, due to the varied literature and the changing uh, thought processes in ACL reconstruction uh, as we uh, go forward. What I looked at in this study really was um, the methodology uh, and the interesting things in that study uh, that seemed to differ for me were, were twofold. Uh, surprisingly, in their standard ACL controls, which were autograph hamstrings alone, there were no college or elite athletes. So the only college or elite athletes uh, were in the standard ACL reconstruction, but not in the hybrid cases. The hybrid cases uh, seem to have some selection bias towards lower demand or uh, older patients, even though there was no significant difference in age. Secondly, Going to the autographs, no worries. Yeah. you had more interference screw fixation, whereas the hybrid grafts had more spiked washer screw fixation, which implied that maybe there was weaker fixation in the augmented grafts than in the autographs, which may affect their results. So looking at that, there was selection bias between the patients that they chose for their hybrids as well as their uh, standard uh, hamstring grafts. Additionally, they eliminated all patients who underwent BTB or quad grafts, which also may uh, place some selection bias. So uh, looking at the results, even though there was no significant difference, we don't know uh, really what the subset of patients were and whether these patients fit into uh, the typical patients that we might see in our practice. Also more significantly, which caught my attention was 
what were the results in the under age 25 patients. And there was no significant difference in their study. However, we know that the current literature states that uh, although there is no significant difference in patient-reported outcomes, that there is increased lack hamstring graphs in the under 25 age population and a slightly higher incidence of uh, reconstruction in the under 25 group. So that was really important to look. Uh, the biggest thing that changed to me is I think now with hamstring graphs, we're talking about putting a square peg in a round hole. And if we look at the evolution of ACL reconstruction, where initially we started with BTB graphs, but due to the complications of patella fracture, anterior knee pain, and graft site donor morbidity, people were looking for a different graft source. So they went to hamstring grafts, but we were trying to sort of change our fixation technique from aperture fixation, interference fixation. Techniques have gotten better with regards to fixation with cortical button fixation and, and all inside techniques. However, the issue of undersized hamstring grafts, which is not insignificant at surgery, became a problem. And I think people then had to go to an alternative solution interoperatively, and that's where the hybrid grafts came into play. Dr. Miller out of Virginia was one of the first to study this and uh, basically said that there is a difference in maturity between the hybrid uh, or the allograft versus the autograft component of the hybrid grafts. And uh, because of that, there was some resorption of the allograft which then affects fixation and tunnel widening and did not recommend it. And since then, there have been multiple studies uh, to try and compare. So that's where I think the um, impetus uh, for this editorial commentary came. That's a terrific summary. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you hit on so many points there and we can kind of take them one by one. You know, I think the, the last one that you just mentioned with Dr. Miller's studies and reviews is, is one that I've always kind of found interesting. And so it, to, to me, at least a little bit, if you're if you're augmenting a graph with an allograph, number one, I don't those those are not cohesive and those don't function in concert because you have an autograph and an allograft and, and it's not quite a double, double bundle ACL as you alluded to at the beginning where, you know, one of the offsided reasons for failure from some of the double bundles is that you didn't have one ACL functioning concurrently. You had two separate ACLs. And so if you had a six millimeter and a seven millimeter, you know, graphs for your separate double bundles, you didn't have a 13 millimeter in diameter graft. You had a six millimeter and a seven millimeter bundle. And that's sometimes one of the, you know, some, one of the reasons sometimes people discuss at least um, for, for why those didn't do as well. And, and to see, to me, the concept is somewhat similar with the autograft and allograft. Obviously they're not independently tensioned or independently fixated and you incorporate the graft together and for most techniques, but it still seems like you're, like you said, kind of trying to add on to something um, that's not exactly the same type of properties. What do you think about that? Uh, I, I totally agree. I think the the hard part is that when you put uh, allograft with an autograft and fixation technique, and we see that in their article with the increased incidence of uh, basically post fixation or spiked washer fixation, that their interference screw fixation appeared maybe not to be as satisfactory so that they went to uh, increased um, post-fixation to go through. The um, absorption of the allograft, I think, affects the tension. To avoid allografts, people have gone to triple bundle or five-strand and 
and to try to find that. But I think there's, as you alluded to, different, uh, differential tension on those graphs. So you're really not tensioning um, all strands equally, which I think affects the reconstruction and maybe there's increased laxity. Yeah, that makes sense. And, it, you know, to me, at least inherently, if you're, if somebody's adding an allograft or trying to add something to it, it's, it's obviously because they're worried that the the native autograft or what the autograft that they have is, is not going to be sufficient or is going to fail. And so uh, that, that concept to me is, is an interesting one and certainly an interesting idea. And as you stated, there's been multiple studies that show varying type of results. And this particular study showed that the outcomes were equivalent. But to me, if you're, if you're worried about, you know, the autograph that you're choosing failing because in, in most cases, in this case, it's because it's too small or the diameter is not enough, um, then it seems to me that maybe the choice should be a different choice from the outset, um, potentially to a graft or, you know, something else that has a less likelihood of being too small or less likelihood of worry of, about failure. So why do you think people kind of keep kind of doing these studies? I mean, obviously, this study, I think, was all the way back from 2005 to 2015. So I don't know if they're still doing these hybrid graphs routinely at Ortho Carolina uh, or not, or if this is just, you know, data that they're reporting from 10 to 15 years ago. Um, but it seems like these studies keep coming out in the literature. And so people are still doing it a lot. Is it, Why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I think, um, obviously, at the time before other soft tissue graphs like quad tendon uh, came into favor, uh, people were using hamstrings for the reason of avoiding graft morbidity, anterior knee pain, patella fracture. Uh, and they were looking for a solution uh, to a problem, although I think now in 2021, uh, this is the least beneficial uh, solution. If you want to use a soft tissue graft, quad tendon has proven that uh, it is certainly at least comparable uh, to hamstrings and certainly has the advantages of uh, not worrying about uh, insufficient diameter or insufficient length, uh, good harvest, will get you appropriate soft tissue graft. Uh, our fixation techniques have improved such that for those that choose to use soft tissue fixation, that um, you can have excellent cortical fixation, which provides stability. Still, uh, bone tendon bone is uh, thought to be the gold standard and, and is, uh, in my opinion, you know, my go-to graft of choice. Uh, I think you have uh, bone-to-bone healing. Uh, you uh, that's an advantage over tendon to bone healing. You can get aperture fixation. The patellar tendon, although it's a tendon, acts more like a ligament. It's stiffer than um, hamstrings. Uh, and certainly the results over time have borne that out. So I, I think for those that want or favor soft tissue grafts, either for donor site morbidity or for fixation technique, uh, I think there are other graphs, uh, such as quad tendon, uh, which people should consider uh, and avoids uh, the dilemma intraoperatively of what to do with an undersized graft. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you on that. So do you, do you think over the next five to 10 years, um, we'll still be seeing some of these kind of hybrid uh, allograft reconstruction studies done? Or do you think we may see a little bit less and less of it and maybe more comparison studies between hamstrings and quads or, you know, more uh, those types of studies, or how, how do you think it's going to change, or if you think it will over the next five to ten years? Yeah, I, I think more and more people will go to quad tendon for those that want to use a soft tissue graft, or uh, maybe for failed BTBs as a secondary graft size. The other thing to comment is 
that for hamstring grafts, there have been many studies that have tried to preoperatively determine whether you're going to have adequate diameter of your hamstring, whether it's by MRI, whether it's by height and weight. Um, and really, I think this is not a problem with the six foot four um, basketball player who uh, has, you know, large enough hamstring tendons. Clearly, the literature says the smaller size, the smaller weight, body weight patients are the ones that are going to have smaller grafts. So in those patients, at the very least, maybe we should consider either BTB or quad tendon uh, to avoid the issue of intraoperative decision-making for undersized grafts. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We, we published one of those studies actually a few years ago, a number of years ago, uh, directly, just as you alluded to, height was directly correlated to intraoperative graft size. And that was with uh, doing uh, quadrupled semitendinosis um, hamstring grafts. And so, you know, just based on that study um, alone, I, I stopped kind of using hamstrings in, for example, like our gymnasts or like our smaller females, because I just knew it was going to be a small graft, even even if you took a gracilis too, or you did, like you said, a, we did a quadrupled technique where you could do quintupled or you can do obviously add gracilis or things like that. So, but I stopped at that point doing hamstring grafts in small females in particular, because I just knew that the likelihood of it being a small graft was going to be too high or too risky. But even then from then, uh, you know, as quad has grown, I, I've, I've moved away from hamstrings oftentimes in, in not just small females, but, but the majority of the population, if I'm going to do a soft tissue graft, uh, I've started moving towards hamstring. Um, if I'm doing soft tissue or, or still BTB, I think, you know, like you said, is, is still a terrific option as well. And, and is that kind of where you've moved somewhat in your practice? And I know you've done hamstrings in the past, but where, where have you shifted with your practice? So I, I trained uh, on BTB, as probably most people uh, in my era. Uh, when double bundle uh, came into favor, I switched to hamstring grass, as it's difficult to do a double bundle with patellar tendon. When double bundle grass did not show uh, superiority or efficacy clinically, even though biomechanically it shows that it prevents rotation uh, better than single bundle grass. I switched back to patellar tendon grass for my primary graft and uh, quad tendon for revision grass. Uh, what I have found with my bone patellar tendon bone, obviously taking a boat-shaped graft off the patella minimizes the risk of patella fracture. and also, what I found is by bone grafting the patella mainly and the, the tibial defects, uh, it's been a huge decrease in anterior knee pain, although not proven. I really think not bone grafting that defect leaves a stress riser in the patella and was a major factor in anterior knee pain. And if that's bone grafted either with, um, you know, autografts from your harvest or demineralized bone matrix or something, that would fill in that defect so it would heal, um, it, I think it takes away that stress riser, which to me was the biggest cause of anterior knee pain. Absolutely. I think that's a great technical point for, for BTB in particular. Well, that's terrific information. Um, Dr. Feldman's article in the editorial commentary entitled Anterior Cruciate Ligament Hamstring Autograph Should Be Avoided in Patients Younger Than 25 Years Old. Autograft-Allograft Hybrids Remain Controversial can be found in the January 2021 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal or at arthroscopyjournal.org. Dr. Feldman, thank you very much for joining me today. Clay, my pleasure. Appreciate it.
That concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a five-star review on your podcast device, and please join us again next time. Thank you.